Hey guys, welcome to podcast number 65. Uh, it'll be two years this month that we've been doing the podcast. So if you've been with us from episode one or you're just joining us for the first time, thank you very much. Uh, we really love doing this and really looking forward to continuing this journey forward as we kind of adapt and shift what it is that we're doing with the podcast and focusing on some different things. But today, uh, to kind of begin that shift, if you will, I have Dr. Katie and Dr. Caroline joining me uh, to talk a little bit about some um, uh, the, basically the staffing issues that we have within the veterinary profession and maybe how we might be inefficient or we might be short-staffed or really how we're both and even how those staffing issues can create inefficiencies. So if you like what you see, go ahead and click that like button, give us a rating if you're on the podcast platforms, or even hit subscribe. Uh, anything that you can do, we would really appreciate. But that's enough out of me. Let's get to it. Oh my goodness. You see, that's the problem with doing pre-cast content and not just recording it. I think I just have to live with my life on record because yes. there's always good stuff. Now there's also just, a lot of garbage. You're just saying you don't learn because we've been saying that for probably like the last year and a half. You should yeah. just, as soon as you, like before I was even here presently and it was just like, <laughs> as soon as Carol picks up the phone, just hit record. Just hit the button. Just start. Yeah, it'll actually be two years this in July this month that we'll actually have been doing the podcast. That's scary. <laughs> Dude, right? That's really And now scary. that I'm going back through the archives of everything and realizing how full of hot air I am sometimes, it's really scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, this podcast was prompted by Caroline posting a Washington Post article. Um, the headline of it was the seven industries most desperate for workers. Um, it was pretty heavily revolved around COVID and kind yeah, of that like how COVID influenced these particular industries. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that caught my eye about the article was that in the photo, it was a vet tech mm -hmm. walking a dog out. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. let's read this article. <laughs> yeah. If I would have been just scrolling past that and that not have been the thumbnail, I don't think I would have guessed that that would have been a Correct. feature of it. But, um, the context of the article, as I, I'll have it in the description for everybody that if they want to check out the original information, but I have like seven tabs up here. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, basically, um, that pet adoptions in April of 2020 hit a record high. Um, and we, we clearly saw that. Mm -hmm. um, and then basically that the industry has not been able to keep up at all. That everybody's just completely tapped out and burnout's probably now if not we're already past an all-time high but maybe we're just in the middle of it not really sure there um but reading the article because it's actually a pretty short piece like they yeah. do show the data um about like the major dip in um staff so it went from like two hundred nineteen thousand, and i'm that includes veterinarians and technicians to like two hundred thousand, so like a 10 percent drop in staff um but then also a corresponding increase in wage for non-managerial employees but either way 
um, the dip in staff with the major increase in caseload and just yep. like didn't really talk a lot about the side effects of that, but just the reality mm-hmm. that is a potential um, significant staffing shortage. And so I read that and then I just started thinking in my own head, like, are we short staffed or are we just inefficient? Because like, are we actually just not using the people that we have at our disposal, the quote unquote, like optimal way or like where, how much waste do we have in terms, especially in terms of labor. And then I tried to write a response to Katie who said that it's essentially both. So that's why Katie's here as well. And um, I tried to type out a response to that and I couldn't put it into written words. So now I'm having verbal thoughts, but um, kind of wanted to roll back because I don't really work on the floor anymore. Um, but also you guys have significant more experience, especially in different areas too. Um, and I also didn't invite Carlo because I didn't just want the paw answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love Carlo for everything that he provides, but um, I know that if he were in the room, he would say, we'll just do it our way and all these problems go away. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. That goes back to like the monolith idea. And mm-hmm. I think we need to be a little bit more dynamic about that. But I wanted to get your guys' first thoughts on the article and then kind of kick off from there because I got a lot of data and stuff too that I can reference also. Yeah. What do you got, Carol? Um, I mean, I lived a lot of this because Mm -hmm. when I, when the pandemic kind of hit full swing, I was still working in the GP and actually at the time, like toward the beginning of summer, um, we were short vet staff. So we had some vet members that were immunocompromised and took off work to kind of basically that's their deal. But anyway, so I filled in for them doing more small animal, like basically three to five days a week, kind of depending on my schedule. Um, and so I saw it, the like transition to curbside and having to do everything over the phone and just the logistics of all of it. And it was very clunky at mm-hmm. first. I mean, it really was. And trying to cram everything, it makes it, it just makes it more difficult to see as many patients in a day. You know, you're most GPs, you're seeing patients every 20 minutes mm-hmm. and stuff kind of starts to overlap and you rely on being able to like pop in and out of rooms and like, be, you know, multitasking essentially to try and get people in and out mm-hmm. and having to having only myself and a technician and then having to have basically because most GPs, again, the technicians are the ones doing all of the history taking, not the doctor. So it's like the tech is calling to get the history and then the doctor comes in and does their actual consultation and then you do whatever treatments or vaccinations you do. And then the tech is the one that's also on the closing end. So you're limited, you have this bottleneck where Mm -hmm. they're both starting and ending all of your appointments. And at some point you're gonna run out of staff. Mm -hmm. And we also, too, like, our clinic was just, we don't have enough space. We don't have enough exam rooms. We don't have enough anything, um, which I think is a very common problem in most Mm -hmm. vet clinics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we saw a lot of that. And it did improve over the course of it. Like, we got better at adapting, I guess, more drop-offs, more, like, calling people, kind of similar to what we ended up doing here, Mm -hmm. Um, where it's like, we'll just call call you, like, go do your things and we'll call you when the patient's ready. Mm -hmm. And that did seem to kind of spread the load out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, but then with the whole surgery shortage too, 
and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but um, part of the theory of why we're so overrun now is because for a time there, you know, with PPE being such a shortage and every state basically saying to hold off on prophylactic procedures, we got so backed up with spays and neuters and dentals and things like that, not being able to do them for several months that we will literally never catch up was like basically what I had heard. So that's why a lot of these vet clinics, when you call to try and get an appointment for a spay or dental, whatever, they're booking you like months out. Mm -hmm. Months. Do you think a part of that, like never being able to catch up is also like a response to the impending surge of young animals? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like the, yeah. I can't get my dog spayed for six months and I, it gets pregnant in the meantime. Is right. that, was that a part of that conversation at all? Um, I mean, everybody talks about all the COVID puppies and I know there were a lot of COVID mm-hmm. puppies, but that just seems like it's still like there should have still been a cap. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be a compounding effect to have reached the level that it did. Mm-hmm. Because I think just saying that it's an overabundance of patients doesn't account for right the growth that we've had okay i don't know i mean i don't know what to expect from like a normal caseload perspective on the gp side so if you're saying that is 20 you know every 20 minutes let's just assume that so that's nine hours a day so like 30 patients a day roughly is that fair yeah like i'd say like 25 to 30 depending on the practice okay and then when you got kind of like scrunched in did that get limited at all or did you just have to yeah, work we, more yeah we did have to extend so basically all of our 20 minute appointments when we first switched to curbside they all went to like 40 minutes mm-hmm. so like double basically having the number of patients that we were able to see okay. and that those did get shorter as time went on as we got more efficient like you know we'd try to cram in a 20 minute appointment here 20 minute appointment here or like make them down to 30 mm-hmm. but you never got quite as fast at it as doing all in person. Okay. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were working GP, was that kind of the same thing from your experience? Like just the normal twenties and just kind of roll them out as much as you can or. Yeah. Well, before here, the practice I was at, they were all 30 minute okay. appointments. Okay. So, but same and um, I know you still have connections with other folks that just still work GP. What was, did you get any like impressions from them on like major changes on anything or being short staffed or being significantly overwhelmed? Cause we can hear it from our people all day long, but we don't say no to anybody that wants to come in. That's a right. different animal. Um, it, did it, was there any news on the other front from anybody that you're still connected with or that kind of shined the same light as the article did? I, I honestly, I think it was a problem that was coming COVID or not COVID, yeah. right? Okay. COVID highlighted probably inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. So that's where my answer to you was, are we inefficient or are we short staffed? We're both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have as an industry been short staffed for a long time. Um, that is something that I had kind of battled it at previous practices, it's like, I could see more patients per day if I had an additional person. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that person costs money. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but 
right. going to bring in money. Right. <laughs> that's that's the plan. Yeah. Um, and and so there the staffing issue, like I said, has been this under ripple for a long time for a lot of reasons that yeah we'll probably you know go into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and and then I think COVID highlighted where the inefficiencies are. Okay. Okay. In so, so. in moving. You know, streamlining, streamlining yeah. patient yeah. Um, care. Okay, so yeah, then we can kind of take that at like two different approaches. Then, so let's start pre-COVID. Now, um, when you guys were working in GP, how many you you had like a technician? You usually had one technician, pretty much like kind of paired with you. What yeah. about other like uncertified staff? Anything like that? Well, we didn't qual that. Yeah, we. So we called all of our both CVT and MSS technicians. Okay. Um, it did create a little bit of a controversy, and I can't remember all of the legalities because this is in Minnesota. So mm-hmm. I remember there was some, there was some conundrum about like, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Where you um, roll people into the next, basically people who were working. Grandfather them in. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they were oh. trying to make some of the unlicensed staff like grandfathered into like fully licensed staff and just kind of like homogenize everything. Yep. But it was it was creating this like animosity between the people who had actually gone to school and been certified versus the people that had just trained on the job and yep. not like actually had to pay the money to go to school. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, we um, so we we just counted them all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't even know of my previous staff who was actually licensed and who wasn't because um, we treated them all kind of similarly. Mm-hmm. But um, I usually would have one tech that was with me all day and then we would have like two essentially floating techs. So you'd have one technician per doctor and then two that were kind of like thrown into the mix of things usually split amongst three to four doctors per day. Okay. So you could never guarantee that. And that's including that technician also looking at lab samples and running lab samples. Yeah. So like having somebody trying to designate to lab, but then you're also pulling them away to like do like checking out, you know, cause they're also checking people out over the phone too and like taking payment. So, mm-hmm. cause we had, you know, people working up front that were checking people in, mm-hmm. but we don't have a checkout staff like we do here. So basically okay. our technicians are like taking histories and doing all the treatments and running all the lab work and checking people out over the phone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, that's a lot. It's a <laughs> lot. Inefficiency. Yeah. Because right. really those are four different jobs in theory. Yeah. Like you could have a staff person doing every single one of those and have enough for them to do in a day. Yeah. So. Well, and so from an inefficiency standpoint, right, um, I will say that was one thing that I worked really hard at previous practices to not have support staff take a history. Yeah. Because I'm going to go in and, and take ask it. Yeah. those questions, questions anyways. Uh-huh. So it is good to know, like, they're presenting from complaint. Mm-hmm. Like, what are yeah. they here for? Vaccines, mm-hmm. vomiting, you know, mm-hmm. that is good information to have. Um, but. Let's not wait. And I like, I did, I did appreciate like having the vitals before I walked in. So yeah. like my, I always pushed for, um, you know, the medical staff, whether it's CBT or MSS, you know, vitals and presenting complaint. Yeah. That's what I need to go in and, and do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, cause it, it, what a time waste yeah. for them to sit there and talk. 
So, and especially when you're talking, you know, a 20 minute appointment, right? Mm -hmm. They take 10 minutes getting a history. Now you have 10 minutes to finish out that appointment. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that was, that is one of the inefficiencies that I have at previous practices worked Mm -hmm. pretty, been pretty vocal about trying to change. Yeah. (laughs) So ended. Yeah. Right. So my question then is, is the short staffing in relation to support staff or is it in relation to uh, doctors or, or both? I think it is both, but I've experienced more of the short staffing on the technician side Yeah, okay. because I know like at our, at my previous clinic, they were trying to hire new technician staff for months, if not a year. Mm-hmm. And we have had the same issue here. Like mm-hmm. we're always looking for CBTs, right? Mm-hmm. Always. We're like, like when somebody comes in to interview for CBT, we're like, yay, come work for us. Can you breathe? Right, yeah, like, (laughs) do you have your license yet? Okay, great. Like, please come start now. Yeah. So, like, that's not, that I think is pretty across the board everywhere that you go. Mm -hmm. The, The doctor shortage I have heard more about, but I haven't experienced as much. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So I, I actually have, the reason that I ask is one of the things that I found. So this is from 2018. So I think the world has changed a copious amount in three years. Yeah. Um, but in, so this is AVMA's market research report. I'll put again, or AVMA report on the market for veterinary services. And this is specific to veterinarians. In the state of Wisconsin, they estimated that there was an excess of 394 veterinarians in the entire state for companion animal services. Not that we were short, but that we were in excess of 394, and for um, Minnesota, it was 290. Excess. Excess. Okay. Um, And I know that we don't have to just focus on small animal, but I found this really interesting. They also put food animal veterinarians. They had Wisconsin leading the nation in excess for food animal veterinarians at plus 807. Wow. I didn't even know that there was 807 food animal veterinarians in the entire state of Wisconsin. Yeah, that's actually kind of shocking to um, me. Mm-hmm. California, they had at plus 314, because I know you kind of have me. a context yeah. for that. But that one's, yeah, that seemed more in line. Yeah. Um, but but that, you know, that was one of those things where I was like, well, are we actually, you know, how, how short are we? Um, now, if we look at it more from a nationwide level, um, companion animals, there was only a few states that were um, in the... In the um, Deficit. Mm-hmm. So Kentucky, Arkansas, Mississippi, Texas, California, um, Alabama, West Virginia. So okay. that was pretty much it. For food animals, it's a lot more. Yeah. Um, Iowa leading the charge at minus 460. Yeah. So, okay. um, but that was from two. With the pigs. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, that's And fair. poultry. Yeah. That's a big one. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, so like I see that, right? And um, one of the other numbers, and I'm having a hard time finding the specific paragraph, but um, another number that was in here was that for the companion animal sector, it was your average, um, sir, uh, the, the, the ratio um, in your average practice is one doctor to 0.6 veterinary technicians. Yeah. Right. So that to me kind of shined a light. Like I agree 
on the both front that we are short staffed, but I don't it, it now as now we're getting into the point of baby boomers graduating. And mm-hmm. I think like, as we get more into the future, those deficits for actually practicing veterinarians could get a lot steeper, but for right now, like the way that the world exists, like our doctors here can only move so fast. It's not like they ever right. stop moving. Right. Like there's, there's things that, um, you know, we probably could use one or two here and there, but it's all on the fulfillment side, Correct. For, in my opinion. And I think, I think that that backs that up, but am I, maybe I'm crazy. No, I think, I think that's accurate because yeah, I mean, we've, I feel like paw is evidence of that in the fact that you can be much more efficient because what, what is Carlos golden ratio? The three, one to six. Yeah. So three MSS and three CBT yeah. per doctor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I would argue that even those statistics that you read is evidence enough of the inefficiency is much more on support staff, or mm-hmm. I guess the shortage is much more on support staff and the rest of the doctor shortage is much more inefficiency, mm-hmm. but also not filling your needed shortages like appropriately so so all these vet schools are out there advertising like oh there's a shortage like come be a veterinarian and blah 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 and like you hear a lot about like people hiring and complaining that they can't find veterinarians definitely always reiterating the whole shortage spiel Mm -hmm. but I mean, those numbers kind of speak for themselves that the shortage in, in small animal, there really isn't one because most of the larger cities, the affluent areas, the places where it's tertiary care and you can refer things and you don't have to do on call and all that stuff. Those are the jobs that people take and are full all the time. And you have mm-hmm. a vet on every corner. Mm-hmm. It's the backwoods mixed animal on call 24 seven, like Dr. Bob, who's 83 years old and trying to sell his solo practice, like, I mean, so yes, yes, there's that, but let's, let's go back to uh, not, not to talk about just paw, but, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, filling in, finding staff, veterinarians, technicians, support staff to work at what was nights and weekends and mm-hmm. now is 24 seven. Um, that didn't happen overnight. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was arduous. Carlo and one other full-time vet for a long time. And mm-hmm. then, uh, I mean, luckily, yeah. you know, Dr. Dane and Dr. Heather and myself <laughs> worked out the rest of the day shifts. Um, and honestly, if it wasn't for Dr. Dane and Dr. Heather, I don't know what we would have done uh, for 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2017. The first 24-hour year? Because it was Labor Day of... Set, oh, crap. 2016. Wasn't it a year after founding? I love how we never remember this date. Like, ever. <laughs> I think it was 2017. So there was, like, there was two years of non-24-hour time? Post-ownership? I don't remember. I really don't remember. But <laughs> either way, yeah. all I know is it was there a was lot. there was nine months where I worked the Tuesday Wednesday overnight. Carlo worked the Thursday through Sunday overnights, and mm-hmm. if Heather didn't work the weekend day shifts, 
Katie switched to day shifts from night shifts. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. We did that for nine months. Heather worked day shifts? She used to work. She used to pick up day shifts all the time. It's yeah. So <laughs> yeah. See? So, it's so weird to um, me. <laughs> attracting veterinarians, you know, to want to... And it, I don't consider Wausau rural because I grew up in the UP. Right. Right. However, yeah. it is not the metropolitan area of Chicago or the Twin Cities or you know things like Correct. that. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so we have to attract, yeah, the workforce mm-hmm. um, from Milwaukee and Madison and right. Yeah. And then convince them that like it's going to be fun working holidays. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. When, I mean, it, you know, if you're sick in the head, you just know it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you got to sell the other 98% of the yes. population on that idea. Well, literally, I was just telling Katie about this. Like, so obviously I made the switch from large animal to small animal in mm-hmm. the last six months. Mm-hmm. And I got a Snapchat from one of my classmates from vet school who's still doing mixed animal in Iowa, ironically. Mm-hmm. And she was like... She was like, do you ever just get sick of all this bullshit? Like, you feel like you're living the same day, day in and day out. And she was driving in her truck and she was like, I have not gotten to a single point appointment that I had scheduled for today because I've just been running emergency calls all morning. And she was like, finally, it's like 530 and I'm heading to my last two calls and we get a call for a cow that's been straining all day and she was like and i know that i get there and this is going to be a torsion and i'm going to have to do a c-section because it's going to be a 360 twist Mm -hmm. and i literally was getting like cold sweats watching her talk about this because i'm like i know this i lived this Mm -hmm. this is my ptsd Mm -hmm. like of the you can't go home until the work is done Mm -hmm. and like i don't miss that like like on our worst day here I don't miss that. Yeah. And so sometimes all it is is just perspective of like, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. Not that there's not a lot of fulfillment in doing that career because I did thoroughly enjoy it. Right. And that like, it takes a special person to do that and to do it day in and day out for like 60 years of their life. So I don't like question that. But like me personally, like I said, just listening to her talk, I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I'm glad you're not doing that anymore. That sounds awful. Because <laughs> it, it, there is some nice, like, you know, as much as working a 14 or 16 hour day here, yeah. like last night I pieced out at like 3.30 and I was like, bye. Right. Like I'm going home, have fun yep. doing your foreign body and your two surgeries and your whatever right. and your seizing thing and whatever all is here. Because oh. I can go home and have a sound night of sleep with my phone on silent Mm -hmm. and it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Actually I had a interesting conversation with a gentleman who is, I think he said he was in West Virginia. No, he's in Kentucky. He's near the Virginias. He's over on the Eastern side of Kentucky. He called the clinic. He's listens to the podcast. So if he's, I'm not even going to use his name because he asked me not to, but, um, we had this conversation in, um, how he literally cannot get anybody to come work with him because yeah. he's mixed animal. Yeah. So similar setting. Um, and he's called like every student services and recruiting department for like every vet school within like Ugh. 24 hours of his clinic, like driving distance. And nobody wants to come work in Western or Eastern Kentucky because it's Southern Appalachia. Right. And it's just, you got to drive an hour one way 
to get to, you know, whatever, wherever you're headed. And then yeah. you got to drive the other hour, the other way. And yep. it's, it's just the life that, that entails, um, because there's not enough people to fill out the rural area and you just yeah. got to cover the miles and all that. And man, he was, he had a lot of really good opinions and a lot of good thoughts. And we shared, you know, some, some sentiments with each other, but yeah, that was, that was exactly it. And he's just like, well, what do I do? Like, I'm calling the people that I heard on my phone to ask, how do I get people to come work for me? Yeah. Because like, I care really, really hard about what I do and I'm 60. Like at some point the lights are going to shut off for me. Yeah. And I really don't want this to go away because not only am I covering a massive geographic area, but I also have a ton of people coming to me from larger metro areas driving six plus hours because they can't afford veterinary care in the DC Maryland area because it costs five times as much as it does where I am. And I'm more than happy to do it for what I charge for it because I'm still making whatever I have to make. Right. Um, but yeah, from a technician's perspective, especially he says, just like, well, I, I take whoever I can get and I teach them as hard as I can. And then they kind of got to do the rest. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple other things to kind of go along with that. Um, I know I've got some numbers here that are specific to veterinarians that Katie, you kind of sent over to me. So, um, I'm going to focus companion animal exclusive this again from AVMA. I think for the majority you know, we can, we can talk about small animal cause I think that's where the biggest deficits probably aren't, especially in terms of gross numbers, maybe not percentages, but, um, well, the, the discussion of shortages on food animal veterinarians is it, it is there, but it is in a different scope. Like that mm-hmm. was, that has been going on for well over a decade now. Yeah. I would I, say okay. maybe even longer than right, that. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's it's a little bit interesting when you talk about this solo practitioner and having to drive, and that is one of the reasons the um, there was the federal grant money yep. for veterinarians. Um, if you worked in underserved areas for mm-hmm. so many years, you could get um, loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That and system is also very broken. Right. Well, <laughs> correct. Yeah. But what they found was for those veterinarians that wanted to go into underserved like large animal work um because of the like if you have to do all if you spend your whole day driving Mm -hmm. you aren't actually making Making. enough money to even cover your base costs and so the loan forgiveness you are better off getting a job and working more and paying the loans yeah (laughs) yeah wow that's crazy yeah that's that i mean that just sounds like, well, I, I would, I would bet that a lot of that program is built around like your more urban settings because there can be underserved communities in that setting as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I, I think I they don't just don't understand. They just don't understand how yeah. it actually works. Right. It's a proposed solution to yeah. a, a problem that probably requires a different fix. Okay. Realistically. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, because that's one of the things, like, you know, I personally have never thought about, like, that idea. I mean, not in this context, I should say, but the idea of drive time mm-hmm. and how it's like right. drive time is not production time. Yep. Like, there's no way to actually generate revenue when you're sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah. So, yeah, it's actually Yeah, and even, I mean, if you're driving that far, oof. Yeah. As a as a doctor, mm-hmm. right? If you were truly charging your time, so your f- 
most of the time for large animal it's a farm call fee yep. to drive out there you know and and it mo- again historically it's been kind of a certain radius from where the practice is based mm-hmm. yeah and it gets more expensive the further you have to drive yeah um like two hours of your time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I know. The only I, benefit you have is the tax break at the end of the year. Right, yeah. <laughs> from your mileage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, perfect example is two. So not my last clinic, but the clinic I worked at two clinics ago, we did that. We covered an area from Hermantown, which is just sure. south, yeah. south, south of Duluth, down to Forest Lake, which is like 50 Whoa. minutes north of the Twin Cities. That's huge. And then from, um, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but like basically an hour west, like through Cambridge and everything else, and then also an hour east toward, um, oh, what the heck is Amory? And like whatever is north of Amory into Wisconsin. Huh. So it was literally like a two and a half hour circle. And you would frequently have to drive from like, way up north mm-hmm. down to like Amory to cut a DA. And it was actually a complaint that I brought to one of my bosses. Cause I was like, this is bullshit that you plan your day out. You he'll have like his five herd healths that he does whatever mm-hmm. in a day. Mm-hmm. And they're all nicely like packed together in the same area. Cause they're all pre-scheduled appointments. And then meanwhile, like me as the like associate vet is picking up calls and I, my salary was partly based on production. And I was like, I literally cannot make enough money to like meet my production level because I'm spending all this time driving. Like you can make more money because you're packing your calls together mm-hmm. and it's much more efficient. But when you're just running whatever emergency calls happen, mm-hmm. you're going from here to here yeah. to here, whatever. Like it's, yeah. and, and the call charges, we had ours were tiered. I can't remember what the actual prices were. I want to say they started at like 50 bucks maybe. Yeah. And mine would that, have been, if I, if I could remember, mine were so outdated. But. Right. It like, and then, cause I remember ours was like below 20 miles and then between 20 and 30 and then anything over 30 was like $2 per mile or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like insanely cheap. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just. That's interesting because I, I would, the way that I would describe that to the lay person is that is literally short staffing creating inefficiency because you didn't have enough people in enough geographic locales to not waste a pile of time right driving right but the problem is there's not necessarily enough business in that area because the dilution like the number of farms in that geographic circle to support that number of veterinarians because realistically you could have like 10 vets Mm -hmm. so that you could actually rotate through on call and you could like break it down into like more manageable chunks of land. Right. Exactly. But then do you have enough in a day to do Mm -hmm. to support those veterinarians? That's the like kind of between a rock and a hard place thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's there's, there is a win in there to have more people cover less ground. 
I don't know what it is. I know. Me and I, Carlo, <laughs> when I first started working here, Carlo was like, we're going to fix this. And then we quickly gave up on that because I couldn't come up with a reasonable solution. I think that's one of those problems that you really just have to wear for a while. Probably. And cause, I mean, that's what Paw was. I mean, you just said it. You you guys literally like wore Paw Health as hard as possible for two plus years yeah. and then still continue to, but in a very, it, not even a very different way, just a, a different enough way mm -hmm. um but yeah i i don't know what the the solution is to that I, if anybody has any ideas and is listening to this please shoot us an email call at, carol I don't know. call carol <laughs> i'm not gonna put her <laughs> cell phone number on the internet but Thanks. um podcast at pawhealth.net i will be more than happy to have you join us on the podcast we can talk <laughs> about solutions um so uh avma they put out market research statistics it looks like every four years or so there's a bad pattern in the actual years themselves, but whatever. Um, it, it's real all over the place. It is really oh. all over the place. And, and for, and, yeah. And the most recent data is from 2018. So I have 2007, um, I have 2014, I have 2018, and there's only two numbers from each of these that I want to highlight. Um, this is total number of um, U.S. veterinary positions, and I, that is doctor exclusive. So this does not include technical, unlicensed, or um, uh, clerical staff. So 2007, there was 38 or 39,000 companion animal jobs in the United States. Available. Uh, available. Now, well, I think that's occupied or unoccupied. Okay. Okay. So um, I can I'll, I will verify that, but I want to put the numbers out there here yep. real quick. The 2014 there was 43,000, so we went up mm -hmm. 4,000 in seven years. 2018, as they made their print smaller, was 49,000. The other numbers that are on here, out of two out of the three, and I think that highlights another one of the problems, and I think AVMA might be hiding it is wage. So in 2007, the average wage uh, or median uh, professional income uh, before taxes for companion animal practicing veterinarians, 79,000. In 2014, that is titled the same, so we're dealing with the same numbers, was 95,000. And in 2018, it is not listed. Mm. Which makes me think that it's probably kind of the same to 2014. Probably, um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so that's median, right? So median, yeah, yep. they also they do the study for. It's interesting that they don't include it in the market research, but they do the studies for starting salaries as well. Yeah. Okay. Because you, they're they collect that data. <laughs> yeah, but it is right. Um, and I think it's, I I'll see but even median it. as compared to average would be interesting to right. see. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to see if I can dig those things out, but, um, so we have that. And then also in here, um, and this was from the report from 2018, the, the bigger one, it's like 60 pages. So it takes me a minute to find some stuff in here, but, um, graduating, uh, veterinary school each year on average is 3,000 vets a year. Oh. Um, and then to go along with that, 
Oh, I got to find it. It was somewhere because because they have these gra- these year by year graphs. And actually, if you're um, not watching that and you're listening to it, I will put this on the YouTube video. Uh, these they did for their, their change in age distribution for the last oh. since 2008. And you just see this big swell of retirees just they're like because of the boomers, mm-hmm. um, you know, at in 2008. Four percent of all practicing veterinarians were fifty-three. Well, now four percent of all practicing veterinarians are sixty-three. Oh, <laughs> like it's you just see this big bubble of people gotcha. that are going to retire and or die. Yeah, um, and there's and there's a significant dip in it as well. Um, so the theory is that there's not going to that there currently isn't but especially that there will not be in the future even enough doctors to fill what jobs are being left let alone the 50 plus thousand jobs that are going to be created by 2026 between now and then right so yes i would say that there is a shortage and all of this stuff was being generated pre-covid yeah and now like in my opinion those all got multiplied Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know by how much, but I mean, well, I'm sure some of those, some of those older vets I know because of COVID either had to either just decided to like up and retire right? or at least at a minimum stop taking on call. Cause that was a major thing here that we had, like we had a lot more ERs all of a sudden swell because people had stopped taking yep. on call in this area that happened at my GP practice as well. Um, and is still happening to them. Actually. I had talked to one of the small animal vets a couple months ago and he was like, I'm dying. Like he's older too. He's in his like fifties or early sixties. And he was like, I like every single night, it's just the phone does not. And they actually stopped taking call at like 10 PM. Oh yeah. So, and then after 10 PM, they send everything to the cities but one, because the cities, like all of the ER clinics in the Twin Cities areas, all are like full every time, you know, not every time, but the times when I would have to call and try to refer something, we're like calling around to a bunch of different ERs all over the Twin Cities to see who even has availability because they're not mm-hmm, taking right. new cases. And so then that gets like back pressured to the GP vets again. And it's just like, this endless vicious cycle of like passing the buck essentially. And yeah, he was like, I can't do this. It's just horribly like burning him out basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's another variable to throw into the middle of this is, and that's maybe that's was the whole point of the Washington post article Mm -hmm. is not necessarily to highlight the reality, but like, the fact that it could get a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Because if we shed people more than we bring in, which I think is a possibility, um, the pro the problems don't solve themselves with less people. Right. I mean, I don't, I'm not necessarily going to say that they solve themselves with more people either. I really don't like that as a go-to solution, but sometimes you have to have enough people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and And the reality of it is more and more of the profession is female as well. So I would be interested to see in those graphs of those older veterinarians that are, you know, leaving the profession, Mm. a majority of them are probably male because I forget what year it finally was where the class is themselves 
finally flipped, flipped. from, you know, 80-20 male-female to now 80-20 female-male. Right. Um, and, mm. I mean, that I haven't seen any articles specific to veterinary medicine, but there are a lot of articles about how COVID affected women in the workplace. Mm. Um, oh, I suppose. Yeah, I guess as doing more I, of the I, emotional work at home well, with and I'm I'm a good example. Uh, you know, I took on and and it's not it's not that I myself or Carlo believe that like right. it's the woman's job, but just Yeah. Yeah. It, I was the way better that, suited for it. Yeah, the way that Carlo explained it to me was he was like, Of the two of us, Katie is the better parent. He was like, <laughs> if I was in charge, he's like, it would be like the Isle of the Lost but Boys. I think what he meant to say was when I was in charge, the few times I was allowed to be, <laughs> it was like the Isle of Lost Boys. And what we learned in that short amount of time was that Katie really had to be the one to do this because had we not, our kids would have been multiple years behind in their schooling. Or just <laughs> murdered each other. <laughs> So, um, so not that it has to be, but what is coming out of it is women did end up, yeah, you know, bearing a lot the brunt of you know some of the additional mm -hmm. child care work that happened right. because of that, and either had you know trying to maintain a full time position or had to go part-time, right. temporarily leave the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I think it's a, a problem that COVID helped to highlight, but women, right? Not that we have to have kids, but I had three of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Caroline, I know we've talked, like having a family is like part of your future plan. Right. And so you can't do what you did nine months pregnant at, that you did not pregnant. Right. Um, it, it been there three times. <laughs> not yeah. that you can't work. Right. Uh, but I you did. never, but you also never know. Right. Cause it affects everybody differently. Like Correct. we had one staff member here that I was like, gosh, I haven't seen her in forever. And it's mm -hmm. like, some people have pregnancy complications and you literally can't be at work. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I didn't even think about that as a factor, but you're right. Cause we actually had that with, uh, staff with technicians at my last clinic too that had to basically take a break from working to help raise their well help raise their kids that's a stupid statement they had to spend more time at home because their kids were being homeschooled mm -hmm. and that obviously requires a lot more involvement as a parent than well and for support staff especially um, I think that um, they take they and they do take on that role because it is their partner husband whatever has the job that offers benefits yeah. right yep right so yeah. their health insurance is dependent on the other parent mm -hmm. working working and maintaining their full-time job yeah yeah they said they did say in here that you're the um the overwhelming majority of clinics are still like one to two doctors 
three, two to three, three, two to four technicians and like three to four uncertified or like clerical staff. Mm -hmm. So like a 10, 10 person clinic with like probably eight FTEs. Right. Like that's just not going to have what you need um, in the way that our society is constructed from a benefits perspective uh, right. to survive, especially if you're, ha if you are creating a family. Right. right. <laughs> Shit's right. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, we're thankfully we're blessed to, to have that here, but it, it didn't start that way. Yeah. Uh, no, that actually was a priority. I mean, was we it? had to, uh, but pre-paw, it wasn't. No, pre-paw, yeah. I mean, it was whatever the other... Right. 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 Um, so... It's, yeah. it's at the very least, we can say that it is the exception, not the rule. Yeah, right. well, and it's a constant battle. Like, if you... Um, I'm not in any of the practice owners, like, Facebook groups and stuff, but I've heard a lot of... That is a lot of the back and forth with owning a practice is the cost of offering those benefits to staff as an employer is not insubstantial either. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. there's a lot of back and forth as far as that goes. Yep. The one place that it always seems to come up, especially is with maternity leave. And I know like people have argued like being pregnant is not a disability, but that's our profession's stopgap as far as like allowing a woman to actually take that time off is that it tr it's treated as short-term disability. Mm -hmm. That's, but I mean that, I mean that exists, right? I mean, short-term right. disability for pregnancy is not unique to veterinary medicine. No, I, mean, I that know. Supplemental but, insurance mm -hmm. exists because right. it's a problem. See my more than just, right. right. No, I know. I just, I had never thought of it as like, the one person who kept saying, oh. like, pregnancy isn't actually disability. Yeah. Like, it's a normal thing that happens. It shouldn't qualify. <laughs> like, I get why it does, because the system is broken. But, right. like, yeah. yeah. See, my head just, in it just immediately went to just base income. Because, like, yes, benefits are a very real thing. But also, if you're talking about the disparity on how... Um, you know, yeah. the, the impact on women versus men is, um, because generally speaking, at least as it currently exists, and I think we'll start to see the shift in a more substantial way, probably in the next 10, 15 years. But, um, generally speaking, men that work in the veterinary profession are doctors. You don't see right. much in the way of support staff in men. Like we have yeah. myself and we have Grant and we have Trevor and Jur, and I think that's it. In Which terms is of men. probably more than a lot of right practices. Right, right. I mean, but it's still yeah. it's still like ten percent. Right. Just so just call you know whatever. Let's just yeah. use bad math and call it ten percent. None of the other practices I worked at prior to here had any male <laughs> non veterinarians. Right. Same. Yeah. So so and that same. I've mm, paw is my fourth. Fourth. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. So, so you take yeah. that, right? So then like, so, so now you have just the reality of if a male works in this profession, they're probably going to be a doctor. Um, then, then you have to say, okay, since we have more women on the support, you know, or technical and support side, like how does that wage in, you know, compare to what right. it costs to have somebody else basically tutor your kid for a year. Right. right. And in most circumstances, they're equal, if not more heavy on the tutoring side. Yeah. Well, Be and so it, it, take COVID out of the equation, just childcare costs. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to say that childcare is overpriced. 
that job is hard as shit. Yes. <laughs> I, I have a two-year-old, and there are days where I'm like, can I just pay somebody to do this for me? <laughs> that would be great. And, like, I just want to pay you too much to do this because this is not an easy job by any means. Right. Um, but, but the other side of that is now that then you can talk about, you know, we've got, we kind of hit the pre COVID and now we can kind of look forward a little bit too, is like in in terms of solutions, I mean, that brings you to wage and like being able to increase that across the board in a, in a way that's sustainable. I don't know the right word for that because there's the, there's always that balance between like keeping care affordable and not having the this this massive pool of money that is human health insurance and all those yeah. things and like even and but now we're kind of sort of living in the same world with very very different variables um but like what is you know if we're, if we're talking that we have a shortage and we're inefficient um what's the first thing that kind of comes to your guys's mind in terms of starting to solve some of these problems so I guess one one thing I always think about from a and I guess to a certain degree I would I would agree with the fact that maybe we don't necessarily have a veterinarian shortage. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're using veterinarians very inefficiently mm-hmm. and it's the support staff that like I think the data unfortunately doesn't even is is the tip of the iceberg yeah. and the like actual shortage is so vast and so deep yeah. Yeah. um on the support side of things that yeah. um cuz i catch myself doing support staff things all, all the time all the time mm-hmm. um and and i don't mind doing it i it's been 20 plus years now right. um and so it's not that i mind doing it mm-hmm. but is it the best use of my time? Right. If I paid somebody out, if I had another person that could do this well, mm-hmm. right, and I could pay them to do that so I could continue to do right. all the doctor things. I could probably see like at least a handful more cases in a day if I wasn't doing those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. See, and that's where I I thought this my my very limited research um, effort this morning, but was, you know, it's podcast research and this is the, probably the most I've ever done <laughs> is you cannot find statistics on support staff. No, no, they don't exist. Like, and you know, this kind of goes back to the last podcast and like talking about like, what is this actual reality? And I, I think that, you know, talking about this as a tip of the iceberg, like, yeah, we can kind of see it melting. We can kind of see stuff falling off, but also like, it's just bobbing. Like there's, there's no meat under this anymore and it's just, the wind's going to take it somewhere and we're not going to like it. And I think that's all within support staff, but there's no, there's not really that. I shouldn't say that there, there's probably numbers somewhere that I didn't find. I'm not going to say that they don't exist. However, there's not nearly the volume of statistic necessary to really understand that deficit like we can feel it you know that was what the one of the probably the best parts about that washington post article is what they they actually just lumped everybody together yeah like we're not just going to talk about doctors we're going to talk about everybody that's in this because i hate to say it doctors but we're all kind of in this together you're Mm -hmm. not the most important people in the room all the time (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) but like and i would even say 
if we're going to talk specifically about COVID, almost the least, right? I mean, caregivers, right, when they get mad, yeah, they're getting it's mad at the support at staff yeah. first. It's, yeah. not, it's never not at us. <laughs> it's, it's less frequently. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I just, I, I mean, with knowing, you know, with the, with the part of my job being essentially being that first line of, like, mm-hmm. reception of uh, criticism, it's absolutely on the support staff. Like, yeah. It's so exceptionally rare that we get bad feedback about any doctor that works here. Um, at least from a, from like a general submission perspective, you know, case reviews and all that are a different thing. And I don't have my fingers in that at all, but they're not that frequent. Right. I know that much. Right. Um, but yeah, if we like, you know, we're, I, I just look at it from the front end because that's what I know is the phone rings here 300 freaking times a day. And, um, we're calling out, especially during COVID, it's like, okay, now multiply that by another one and a half because I have to give everybody updates about where they're at at least once, if not four times, because we have 60 patients in mm-hmm. for 24 hours, um, as well as getting people checked in and moving patients around and getting people checked out and also doing this in a way that's safe. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff the biggest amount of feedback that we got was that we didn't communicate enough. Right. It's like, well, well, we got three people here that are literally sweating for uh-huh. the 12 hours right. a day, just right. trying to keep up with the volume of things that are happening. And it's not like the people that weren't hired to do that job. So the people that are doing all the patient care stuff, it's not like we're just in back. Like, right. Why aren't you guys answering that phone? Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, um, yeah, it was, it, it is right. Yeah. They always say communication is so important and we agree. However, Mm -hmm. there's only so many people in that role Mm -hmm. and so many people in the building, Uh um, especially, so yeah, you say 60 patients in a day, but there might be 20 patients here at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and more showing and we're working through whatever illness that they have plus hospitalized patients. And Mm -hmm. so, um, like there's, there, there was times where it's like, there's literally not enough time in an hour. Yeah. Yep. To, to TPR call. everything that walked in the door. Or to call <laughs> all the people you need to call. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And, and I think that that's a highlight of, because here's the other thing is, and, and I think maybe the reason statistics on this don't exist is because they're really hard to quantify and they're really hard to put into words because like I tried to put it into words for years and I like, I got good at it sort of, but like to actually explain to somebody like, if I put more people in my treatment area, we would probably slow down. Yeah. Like there's a tipping point. Yeah. Now we've gotten pretty good at putting a lot of people in the system, but we still hit that tipping point sometimes. Yeah. Even Dr. Frank today, we weren't, I mean, things were, he was, um, you know, we were busy, but it wasn't a, like our busiest. Right. Um, yep. And he made a comment about like the buzzing beehive, right? Mm-hmm. Even when we have, you know, not, we were down to like maybe 
five patients in triage, you know, and mm-hmm. a couple of hospitalized. Yeah. We still are constantly moving. Mm-hmm. We should doing just, something. We should just get an overhead view of the of the camera from the clinic and just put the <laughs> you know what I'm flight talking about? Of, of the bumblebee. Flight of the bumblebee. Yes, yes. exactly. Just put that yep. up. Just a little clip. I try I tried to do that when we first moved in. I had it out from, oh, the, yeah. from the window, but I yeah. Saw that. Um so I I mean to go and back. And not in a bad and I just, I don't want to no, say no, that in a negative no. way. Just there's a lot of shit right. to do. Just, yeah. You know, lots of yeah. And so at some point um yeah. There's there, again. There's just a limit yeah. to what can be done. Yeah. In... So yeah. Go ahead, Carol. Well, the thing that I was gonna say, you were talking earlier about CSS and talking on the phone and just like having the staff that that is their designated job. But I think one thing that COVID has taught me, I don't know if it's different over the phone versus in person because I know in person consultations, but there is like an emotional like burden or like burnout to having to be on the phone talking to people all yeah. day, yeah. every day. Like I get home. Just fried. I don't want to call or talk to anybody <laughs> ever again. I have your answer for that. It's what we talked about during Molly's podcast. So a part of being a high eye is literally mm. physically engaging with people. Gotcha. When you have to act outside of that, it's below that energy line, right? Gotcha. And it, you have to put more into that. Because when you're talking with people, especially when they're engaging with you, you don't get de-energized. It actually amps you up a little uh-huh. bit. I'm kind of the same way. Uh, but when it's here and I'm not looking the person in the eye, um, it's it'll you have to invest more into that. And at some point, that reservoir runs, runs dry. Gotcha. Now, Katie, I think you're probably a little less impacted by over-the-phone consultations than Carolyn uh, would be. So... I hated every minute of <laughs> phone consultation. And But why? Uh mostly because I think I wasn't as well received by caregivers. Oh like, <laughs> you had to like convince them that you cared. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm gonna use the T word. Yeah. But my tone wasn't right. Yeah. And so when they couldn't see the face yeah. that could express the emotion yeah. and only had to listen to the voice yep. didn't go well. Yeah. So so my next question, and I know that's a little bit off topic, but I'm just yeah. really curious. Um, did you see that shift when we were still in person, but we were all wearing masks? Was that the... S- no, I don't. I have no issue. I have... Well, because now we've been masks oh, for yeah, almost yeah. a year. Yep. Um, and yep. I really didn't notice... Well, and so we'll go from like maskless to masks. I really didn't have a problem with that transition. Um, but from in-person to curbside. Yeah. Ooh. Tough. Interesting. It was real bad. I was like, and I'm the one who makes like, I'm the one who was like, we're not letting people in anymore. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> dug your own grave on that one myself. a little bit. I did it, but well, Right. right, but it was the right it's, thing to do. It yeah, was, right. it's my discomfort for the health yeah. and safety of the staff, right? Um, right. and caregivers and, and everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, but anyways, so when we were getting to the point, you know, I, I, of reopening the lobby, um, I was just like, oh, thank you. Yeah, 
right? Not not everyone's going to hate me every time I talk to them. This is going to be great. We're going to stick with the solid 40% that just don't like me. Right. <laughs> Whatever that arbitrary number might right. be. Yes. Um, so so I, I, I'm still... I, I like my job a lot better in the last <laughs> few weeks. That's helpful. <laughs> this, it really is helpful to enjoy your job when you show up to it. <laughs> that is very true. Um... I you know I'm not let, I'm not gonna let that one go really quick because okay. that's a super oh. good highlight to the fact that Katie does actually care because I know a lot of people that listen to this work here and that's that I don't know what that is but yes you come off as harsh and like people generally just don't understand it but also like you just said like like it's really important that that exists because like somebody who wouldn't didn't it was high d but also didn't necessarily care about how they were perceived or um uh, i guess maybe that's the right way to put it like that's a different type of person right and um i don't know if that's the altruism coming out i don't know what i'm not very altruistic that oh that's right (laughs) i really don't even i don't even i can't even quantify it but i just want everybody to put it out i'm putting it out there because i can't let those opportunities go digging for compliments (laughs) (laughs) Um, other solutions though, right? Cause we're, yeah. we're short staffed and we're inefficient. And actually I want to hit on inefficiency mm-hmm. because this is where, um, I, I know that if Carlo was sitting in the room, he would say, well, everybody just needs to have triage model available part-time, if not full-time. Um, now I would somewhat agree cause like being able to, and this was actually in episode 60, what I kind of tried to hit on and it ended up not going super great but like the idea that if everybody did a little bit more that the problems wouldn't seem as substantial because what ends up happening is these pockets of people that are willing to say yes more than the people who say no more get so inundated and like I think the patient care model within an ER setting is fruitful but it's also can get overwhelmed very very quickly we lived that daily for the last six 12 months um but to go along with that one of the and this is this is just to kind of go along with the idea of doing a little bit more um they actually had an efficiency index in this report which i thought was really interesting and um so i was like because they didn't but they didn't put what they actually measured right and so they said like 10% of clinics were operating at like 100% efficiency, um, like 40% were above 90, but like 10 to 20 were less than 40%. And I was like, okay, well, something's weird here. Right. What is the model that they're using? So I actually had, they, cause they, all they cited was the type of statistical model that they used and essentially to boil it down, it is how much are we doing versus how much do we think we can do? It was self-reported. Oh. It was self-reported. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's a garbage way yeah. of thinking about that. And and but but the reason that I say that is I think that there's just this innate perception that we're just doing everything that we can. Uh-huh. And when we're talking about like we have 40% of clinics that are saying we're doing 90% of everything that we can. Are they actually? I don't know. Like, I haven't been to another vet in years, but, like, you guys lived it. I yeah. mean, it was, it's been, you know. So I can literally tell you who, how those people answered that question. 
So you had one of basically two responses, either we're working as hard as we can and we're seeing as many patients as we can and we're just tapped out every day. Like we're giving 110%. Mm -hmm. The I have a hard worker answer. Yes. Or you had the we're drowning and COVID is what's killing us. Like victim. Was this a COVID? No, this was from 2018. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm number one. I'm really curious what the next report's going to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think the COVID slowdown has happened yet. I mean, has it? (laughs) because <laughs> there was definitely the covid like swarm yeah because once like Ju- june july came around last year it was like this is a different world like we're yeah. d- now we're doing something different well if we talk about efficiency yep. um i know a lot of my push for like more support staff so i as the doctor could be more efficient yeah um it didn't fall on deaf ears. It was, there was pushback because we're talking about coming out of 2008, mm-hmm. 2009, um, when, I mean, I remember I could go home for like three hours over lunch because yeah. there just weren't appointments yep. that were yep. coming in. Um, and, and so we were you know, hit pretty hard, um, from a, you know, when people didn't have a disposable income to spend on veterinary care and veterinary medicine. Um, and so business owners not wanting to take on on additional staff. Well, and we were past the recession, but When's the next one? I mean, our, our economy yeah. is a constant cycle, right? It's, it's coming. It's, it's that meme of the building with all the sticks. Yeah. Which I'm talking yep. about. Yep. Yes. And, yep. and so some of the inefficiencies in the industry are that like, okay, what if I can do this day after day after day, um, there's right fear and change. If I mm-hmm. add on more staff and now I'm responsible for taking care of these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 I think that's a, a large barrier to, like mm-hmm. I said, kind of adding the staff to change some of the efficiency problems. Yeah. So one of the things, and I'm struggling to find it here as a specific, but I'm going to go with my gut um, is so we talked about wage as it relates to practicing veterinarians. There's not a lot of information in terms of um, support staff. So I really can't go off of that. But I, I, I Katie, you'll probably know this better than me. Um, like like average starting wage for CBTs is probably right around like 15 bucks an hour nationwide. I don't know. It, I know we, it's I, hard to that, say. I don't. Uh, well, in larger cities, so in larger cities, it's probably like, like 20, closer 25. to twenty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we're talking starting, right? We're so starting. There yeah. is a there's a very difference between starting and then like median or average. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I did find some starting that. numbers for doctors too. But yeah. Um, and and so you know some of that will depend you know on experience, right? Mm-hmm. Have you just graduated? Do you have ten years of experience? Yep. Um, 
But some of that is going to vary so much state to state by state because of do they care whether you're licensed or unlicensed? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some some states. So I, th- I think some states may not have the laws. I think some states have the laws, but nobody really enforces them. Yeah. Um, and then there's just stricter yeah. states that hold that standard. Mm-hmm. So, to because this is what I find interesting is, so we went from like seventy nine to ninety four to let's call it a hundred just as an easy number in 10 years. Um, what's the percentage change on that? Like 20% up ish. Sure. Um, there was a statistic about practice owners and it went in the similar time frame. It went up like 75% in terms of income for practice owners. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about the, so this would have been post, you know, 2008 yeah. to now. Sure is I don't think that they've shifted anything in terms of paying people more or paying more people or paying more people more. It's just there's been this, well, and here's, here's, this is conjecture. I'm theorizing here. Um, The the boomer bubble is moving closer and closer towards retirement. 60% of boomers own all the clinics. Mm -hmm. They're nearing retirement like, what are they going to do? They got hammered, I'm sure, in the reception, the recession 2007, mm-hmm. 2008. And now it's just like, I just have to hold on to everything that I can. Because yeah. the reality is when I try to sell this business, it ain't going to be worth a damn thing. Well, so that, right? So you hire more people. Right. Well, well you're go- so say you're going to sell your business. Your business is worth... A whatever time, whatever the yep, whatever your multiplier, whatever is. the multiplier is, yep. for how much money the business is actually making. You hire more people. Does it make right. your balance sheet look worse? Are you right. going right. to get less money for your business? Right, and, and and I think that a part of that is just literally like. Um, Without seeing the potential, you know, yeah. Carlo always, and it, it is true. But Carlo, you know, is it's the one that's a different way like, of looking at it. Pounds it in your head. People are your asset, not the yeah. ultrasound machine, right? right? <laughs> yeah, they're they're looking more at cash out value, right, yeah. like even like liquidate value right, than yeah. they are sale value. And a part of that is probably just got to do with lit, like financial and like business ownership literacy. Because I'm guessing that a lot of these people started these practices because they were vets and nobody owned a practice for them to work at. Also, that was uh, just what you did back then, right? Like okay. most of the time, it was. You went to work for the, the older vet, worked mm-hmm. for them for a few years, and then bought their practice. Or bought into it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Like, kind of the like handing the corporate, down. The corporate thing, I don't think, started until... I don't know when it actually started, but even uh, when... The, I, first BCA was, like, in the 90s, I thought. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But, like, that, that's, what I, that's the comment that I was going to make about the wage change thing is that you have these people who have worked here forever. And we were talking about this before we actually started recording. Mm. But you, you have all these incentives for the people that you're hiring in terms of salary, but you're not necessarily giving raises to the people that already work for you. And then you have where you're selling your practice then to corporate and they're sure as shit not going to increase wages on any of your staff. Mm. That's actually what happened 
partly at my last practice when they got bought out by corporate, a lot of the support staff, there was a lot of grumbling that started happening where they started fucking with their hours and fucking with their benefits and their PTO and like basically changing the rules that they had been operating under because they're like, well, this is how we do things now. Mm. And they're like, okay, but like that's not like I've been here for 15 years and now you're trying to change things on me. And the alternative is that I have to pick up my whole life Mm -hmm. and go find a job somewhere else, or I can just put up with it. Right. (sighs) You're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And so then how do you go and argue to this corporate entity like VCA or blue Pearl or whatever it is Mm -hmm. like you need to pay me more. And they're like, prove it. Why Mm. leave? I'll hire somebody else. Yeah. Which I don't think is true, but. <laughs> <laughs> but they and say. Sorry, I, was off, I was off in a decade. I, th- I thought it was mid 90s, but it was mid 80s. Okay. Okay. But they probably started pretty small, yeah. I would guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it's a it, flagship it's, hospital. Right. And, and I'm not calling out like one corporate. No. I, no, I worked for a couple of different VCAs. Um, mm-hmm. And so my very mm-hmm. first job, they got actually, I was hired by the you know, the private business and went through the transition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And as, I mean, for me as a college student, so I wasn't having to worry about full-time pay and benefits and all of that kind of stuff. It was not a difficult, like for me, that wasn't a difficult transition. Yeah. I'll call them out. Pet vet. They sucked. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a stupid name. I promise I'm not going to put that on Instagram. I, I, I found I found the number. So here here's here's where this gets interesting. All right. So um, companion exclusive, and I'm reading off of a bar graph, so these are not perfect numbers. Uh, 2010, about ninety five thousand was the mean income of associate veterinarian. So that's not median. That's a that's okay. a mean income. Um, in 2016, it was eighty nine. So it actually went down. Like a lot. Um, 2014, it was about 85. So it went down, 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 and then up a little bit in 2016. Um, Most of them follow that. Actually, about half and half follow that trend. Um, Food exclusive followed that trend. Um, Companion predominant did, but food predominant has gone down every year for those uh, that six year span. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed animal went down all the way to seventy one, yeah, uh, as a mean, and equine is about sixty five, yeah, down from like a hundred six years prior as a yeah. mean income. Um, however, real mean income of practice owners in companion exclusive went from a hundred and ten to a hundred and sixty. So like, yeah, you, there, there's just a significant disparity in the way those two graphs trend. That's right. so interesting. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, and I'm not like, I'm not going to necessarily even fault the people that own the practices. Like right. if you busted your ass and you know, I, but, if but leave it, look it. at the different. Okay. But I'm sorry. Look at the difference between the practice owner who is doing, who is probably working full time as a veterinarian and doing administrative work. Yeah. Right. Yep. For, I mean, that's not all the number, but. Right. See, probably doing one and a two, half, like right. two a jobs. full-time right. job, plus or minus another half to full-time job each week. Yeah. yeah. For 
and that's that's where I think a lot of another full-time salary. Yeah. That's where I think a lot of these numbers are flawed because it doesn't distinguish type of income in here at all. Yeah. And I, there's a very, there's probably a decent likelihood that the majority of these companion exclusive practice owners are practicing in some way. Right. They've probably been practicing in some way for an extended period of time. They're not new grads. They've been doing this for a while or they finally did it long enough where it's like, I'm going to see like 10 things a week and I'm going to do this other stuff because I saw 80 things a week for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's, it's not necessarily in that. And that's the thing about this, like the way that this is phrased is it kind of demonizes those people. And I don't think that they're the problem, but they definitely hold a part of the solution. Right. So it's not necessary, and that's that gets me fired up and triggered about the way that the world of Instagram works and like all these meme groups and all this stuff, like talking about how the most tenured technician is always the meanest one, or the mm. problem isn't necessarily with those that are practicing medicine; it's it's managers and it's owners, and like that, that's where the problem is, and it's all this blaming of other people it's like no we all have our peace like we can't we can all make this a little bit better and if we all make it a little bit better it's gonna get a hell of a lot better it might take some time but there's no way there's no one type of person there's no group of people there's no corporate entity or business practice that's going to solve this issue the issue is i i think that looking at it in terms of shortage and inefficiency does kind of make it easier to generate like an issues list. Like let's just look at those two variables within our own clinics Mm -hmm. and say, where are we short? How can we, you know, amplify where we're just bottlenecked by a type of person, by a role. That's what you were kind of talking about with your technicians. Yep. But also actually that's inefficiency. That was a terrible way to put that. Um, it's, that's a short staffing creating inefficiency. Correct. Um, (laughs) Um, but like, you know, is a part of that role or do we just need more people doing the role or do we need to change the role? Right. Um, so I, I mean, if that's the advice that I have that, you know, think about it in terms of those two variables, cause I think they're both solvable. I think that there is a likely problem that's headed our way in terms of leg- like, le- like actual doctor shortages because mm-hmm. we're graduating less than our retiring. We're yeah. going backwards on that front. But, but how many people have control over that? Like, right. like it's taken us years and years and years and years in a pile of work to even like get half of a foot in the door at one educational institution. Yeah. Like that's not easy to change and it's not changing anytime soon to our knowledge. Like they're right. doing their thing and they're changing curriculums and they're, but they're still only admitting 10% of their applicants and that's probably not going to change for a while. No. Yeah. But also, I mean, we can circle this back even further to like the inefficiency of the education system itself yeah. because so many more new graduates that are coming out. What I was interested in, in all of your statistics that you were reading is how, the much larger percentage of students going into residency and then becoming specialized has Mm. shifted because that Mm. has changed a lot probably in the last decade I'm guessing in terms of like a lot more people be like our medicine is becoming a lot more specialized than it used to be and so I was curious how that would have changed some of your income statistics yeah but back to what I was where I was going with this like the inefficiency of the education system of, okay, we're getting people to get into vet school, but then what are we doing with them? Are we funneling them further into specialization and residency and not feeling like they 
are prepared when they're actually getting out of school that they can go into these positions that we're creating for them? Like what type of doctors are we building to fill these positions? And does it actually, that's what I was talking about earlier about filling our cups unevenly. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. and, and it's hard when you're teaching students in a tertiary environment, how do you teach them non-tertiary medicine? Like, yes, it's very valuable to know gold standard and ivory tower and all that stuff, but also like your friend from Appalachia. Yeah. (laughs) How do you teach that? How do you show how much that contributes to your local community and what it does for the people who live there and how that's so important from a preventative medicine standpoint? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Right. And and, and that's the the shitty part is like, uh, I don't think there's enough people that are currently or are willing to live that life to, to find the solution. And the other part of that, which I thought about this this morning and I really didn't know where to bring it in. And I don't even know if this is the right time, but I, I find it still very interesting is that no matter like these, these problems are going to exist. Hopefully there are people that decide that they want to live it and solve them. Cause you're right. Like you yeah. can't, how do you teach? I mean, your first job or was it when you were in school, when you did the mixed animal um, work and it was like, there was no lab equipment and you learned how to do everything. Oh, that was physical. an externship. Yeah. yeah. So like, how do you teach a student who is touching, you're doing physical exams mm-hmm. for the first time in their life, how to do everything with a physical exam and not, you know, to, to, yeah. to, to live that more, like, we're essentially, in today's day and age, a more rural-type practice. Right. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I, um, but because, because it's going to require people to solve that problem, here's another thing I found really interesting. We are not automating ourselves out of this problem like a lot of other industries are, right? Like, truckers have a big shortage. Well, that is about to get solved in the next 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, your, your low skilled, um, work across the board, whether it's manufacturing, retail, um, all that stuff, they're automating their way out of these problems. Mm-hmm. They're getting themselves essentially out of the need for people. There's nothing in this industry that's going to basically work itself away from people. Like there's certain things that are more efficient. So like telemedicine, but but that still requires people. people. Yeah. And you know, you think I, I, I go to like lab equipment, like lab equipment gets faster. We have the new, uh, thing. Lacuna. Thank you. Um, (laughs) that that was really, I'm going to have to download this in stereo now. So I get it in both ears, but, um, you know, that, that piece of equipment, it makes the world smaller. It, it it allows access to laboratory stuff that's out of our scope of availability. I mean, and, even a CBC machine. Right. So you can pop out a CBC in two minutes, whereas right. you have to buy a hand kit. Hand counting. And, like, <laughs> exactly. A technician has to hand count. And But I, but I so. think, you know, a, a, the majority of <laughs> what we're going to automate is about stuff that currently exists and just making it go faster and more accurately. Mm -hmm. But we're not, we can't, you know, we can't really automate our way out of doing the overwhelming majority of what this job is. And um, I think that that should strike fear into some people because I think a lot of us are waiting for that. A lot of us are hoping for the next technological solution to come down the pipe in life, Mm -hmm. right? Like, 
because everything around us is getting faster. It's getting more efficient. It's, you know, um, our ecosystems are becoming more integrated, all that sort of stuff. That is not happening in yeah. this world. Yeah. At least not very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if there was a, a reason to hustle, I guess, as I'm just having this thought out loud, to me, that's a good one. But I don't know. Yeah. No, I would agree. It's also like kind of a... Uh, like a spiral kind of self-fulfilling issue in that the less available that we are, the less preventative care that patients yeah. will get and the more yep. that caregivers will turn to alternative sources of information and education, mm-hmm. which will then further perpetuate the problem of having to go in and fix it, mm-hmm. which is a lot harder to do than to prevent it to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so you end up doing right. this and just spiraling. It's a, yeah, you it's a never catch spiral. up. You yeah. never catch up. Yeah. And that's, but then, so it brings, brings us back to like the inefficiency of vet school, right? Where did you learn preventative medicine in right. vet school? Small animal, especially at least large, like large animal, at least yeah. like you had yes. a better base because that is extremely important. Correct. Um, Cause there's a bottom line there right. for the producer, right? Mm-hmm. The right. producer, their bottom line is um, keeping improved everything. by having healthy mm-hmm. yeah. livestock, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but on the small animal side, companion animal, mm-hmm. um, that's a great question. I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> Y'all didn't learn about like just preventative medicine in vet school, like as its own like thing, like no. sprinkled in here, there and around. But as a, like, I took a, Oh, I did take a one GP rotation, two week rotation, but that, but it wasn't a part of the didactic learning no. side. No, you don't have Not a class. That that's can... like, let's talk about distemper vaccines today. Right. Oh. Interesting. Like we learned about distemper virus in virology. We learned about heartworms in parasitology. We learned about like we learned all of these things, but as a cumulative like wellness, yeah, whole critter approach. Huh. I, I as an outsider, I would have never guessed that. <laughs> and I'm trying to I'm trying to find the numbers, but they did have like a. There was some income or like revenue statistics that were in here that broke it out by category. And I was surprised that like major services wasn't included in there um, in terms of like surgical services and that sort of like heavy intervention type stuff. Uh Um, But it was. Oh, here we go. So companion exclusive there were actually it was it was across all of the categories. They had five sources of revenue, imaging, laboratory, wellness. Um, drugs and food. And so I don't know what they're including in wellness, but right. it sounds like that's their only service. Like, like, like the service part of the service industry, it must all be categorized in there. But yeah. um, just because of that fact, if we're focusing on wellness, like you would almost have to think like, we're going to walk in and know what we're doing on that front. But apparently that might not be the case. Oh, well, that's a sad reality. <laughs> right. Yes. Now we need a positive thought to finish this podcast. Oh. Who's got one? <laughs> Come on, Caroline, pick my day up. You're going on like a 10 day break. I you know. can do it. <laughs> I mean, we're here. We're talking about that's these true. things. I mean, a lot of it feels like spinning our wheels sometimes as far as yeah. like trying to actually get momentum. But the industry is like, 
everybody's talking about it. Talking doesn't necessarily get you anywhere, but it's not like everybody's trying to sweep this under the rug. And I guess the more vocal that we as members of the profession can be, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about this earlier as far as tech, as far as veterinarians sticking up for their support staff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is a big thing that I've seen. You know, we sometimes complain about like, oh yeah, well they get a whole like vet tech week and we only get one day. <laughs> but, but like realistically, I mean, so perfect example, one of my classmates, he actually works. Well, I don't know if I should say where he works. Um, he works at a place. He um, f- like actually turned down a salary increase so mm-hmm. that the organization that he works for, like he basically threatened that like, you need to give my lead technician a raise or you are going to lose her. And I am not going to be able to do a single goddamn thing in this place. Yeah, Like you need to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a kind of a positive bright note that I've seen is like us kind of backing each other. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's all the people down in the trenches advocating Mm -hmm. for like us against big corporate basically yeah. um, yep. trying to make things change and make it better for ourselves. And I think that's the only way that we can do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. I mean, that just people are assets, right? Or, right. right. Like focus more on like the primary asset is people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need people mm-hmm. to make this right. work. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, I think another kind of brain switch as an industry that that does need to happen that doesn't get talked about a lot is we you know we talk about accepting differences in personality types and offboarding people um, and so we have to recognize that not every environment is going to be fulfilling or going to mesh with every staff person whether yep. it's a veterinarian a veterinary technician and just be okay with like, oh, you're not fitting in here. Like, I'm sorry. Right. You know, yeah. go like, yeah, go ahead. Find a different yeah. job. Like if you can find something that's going to be fulfilling for you and allow you to use the skills that you have, if it's not here. Right. Yeah. And that allows the people that kind of do fit in, I hate to use the word fit in, but the people yeah. that are finding fulfillment here, mm-hmm. you right. know, continue to like be more efficient and not have to like yeah. fall into some sort of drama that feeds inefficiency. Then do, like, yeah. right. It's not a bad it's, thing. Right. People, people move on from jobs all the time in other industries mm-hmm. yeah. without the drama that happens in veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if I were to summarize that, I would, it would be like, if I'm having that conversation with that person, it'd be like, I'd rather you have a successful 10 year career, if, hopefully more than that, but go do this job for 10 more years than work for me than one more for one more well, and, and then it, get the hell out. Right. Cause the problem and, ain't getting better with less people. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, and that feeds in, I guess where I was going with that is like this whole idea of burnout, right? They feel yeah. like I'm, I, this is where I work have and I'm committed and I have to make it work. And, and then they, instead of, you know what, this isn't working out, I'm going to go work at this other clinic or do this other mm-hmm. thing, they're leaving the industry altogether. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. I I would definitely concur with that because there I there there's enough variety 
I would even say within a relic, I mean, I own, you know, we, I think that as much as my hometown drives me nuts, it's a good, like, um, kind of ecosystem as like a, or what's the, what's the word? Like a sample size of a, sure. of, of a, of a yeah. decent amount of the nation. Like, and, and when I think about the, the type and volume of practices that are just within two hours of where we live, there's so much variety. Yeah. Right. Like you can go do veterinary work in an environment that suits you in almost every type of person somewhere within two hours of central Wisconsin. And I, I mean, yes, there, that range might increase or decrease depending on where you are, Mm -hmm. but like, don't feel like you just have to jam the square peg into the round hole. Right. Like there's gotta be something like if, if, if that's your barrier, like you just can't stand the people that you work with or the type of work that you're doing, like don't just exit the industry, like go find somewhere where you can start to make change. And because if you're not fulfilled with where you are, you're not going to want to fix it. Yeah. You're just going to survive it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I guess. And people are not surviving it. No. Correct. No. No, yeah. they are not. Yeah. Like go back. Well, not that you can tell somebody that's in the wrong headspace to think logically, but yeah. like it goes back to when you first start vet school and they tell you about how veterinary medicine is such a diverse industry. Right. And there are so many things that you can do with this degree mm-hmm. that like you wouldn't even have the imagination to think of all of them. And right. that is so true. It goes back to the veterinary medicine is not a monolith. Yeah. Like right. it's, yeah. But I, I, I think, know. I almost think we even need to be less lofty than that. Like I said, as an, as an industry, people, Right. I, I don't know why we get so like we're stuck not special. <laughs> like this is the clinic I work at, and this is like the clinic I have to die at, or something. Right. You know where it's it's yep. you know I, my brother's an engineer, my sister's a nurse. Like yeah. the number of times that they've left, and like they have a party for them when they leave. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's true. Oh, congratulations! You got a new job. Like this is really exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that is. I would say that is definitely not the standard. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, we, d- we. I. I think we do that okay, but we could probably do it better. Right. Like we did it for Maddie, <laughs> but yeah. that was, you know, but that was like you're not you're not necessarily going to work at a different clinic. This is a different scenario. Yeah. Like like there's probably ways that we could even improve it, but um, yeah, absolutely. Like make make the um, exchange of people more acceptable. Like yeah. don't. It doesn't have dis- to be personal. Right, right. It, it's, it goes back to the types of conflict, right? Like yeah. you're not thinking that that's a bad person. You might disagree with the f- why it mm-hmm. is that they're leaving or the way in which they are leaving, but you can't look at them and say you're a bad person for leaving. Right. right. And because it's not fair. You don't know. It's, it's no different from a caregiver making a decision about patient care and a consultation. You don't know all the variables. Yeah. You just have to provide as much as you can and let they, them make an informed decision and then be okay with it. Right. Like, yes, you can educate and you can try to make things better, but ultimately they're the person that's living it. They're the person that's making the decision. Don't disparage them for the decision that they are making yeah. using all the information that they have. Right. That was awesome. That was like, that was like an hour and a half too. Oh, geez. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> final thoughts. Anything? I should probably just stop talking or we'll keep going. We'll just keep going. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys. Uh, next podcast actually um, is going to be probably with Molly. 
um, talking about the the role of a CVT. So yeah. okay. if you guys want to join, I'll send out a group text. Um, cause I have no idea where that conversation is going to go. I, cause I know that if that's the subject matter, I can't pull it on a Molly. <laughs> Somebody else has to. Can you bring in another CBT too? I mean, there is four chairs in the room. You so maybe should. Maybe I should. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that'll be the next one. I don't know when that'll be up or all that stuff, but yeah. Uh, I guess with that, I'll kind of take everything out if you guys are good with that. Go for it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys very much for tuning in to podcast number 65, currently title not existing, and we will catch you on the next one.